Hello, and welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast. The goal of this podcast is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their communities. The host of the Organizing for Change podcast is the coalition coordinator for Avon, Massachusetts, Amanda Decker. Thank you for listening. Welcome to episode 24 of the Organizing for Change podcast. I cannot believe that we are at the end of two years of this, and I'm just so thankful and grateful to everybody out there for all their support. As you know, our goal is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their community. Today, I sat down with Les McEwen, who is the president and CEO of Predictable Success. In this role, he advises CEOs and senior leaders of organizations on how to achieve scalable, sustainable growth and speaks to Fortune 500 companies about his breakthrough strategies. Prior to founding Predictable Success, Les established himself as a serial founder slash owner in the global business spectrum, starting more than 40 companies, in addition to being the founding partner of an incubation consulting company that advised on the creation and growth of hundreds more organizations worldwide. It is through this experience that he aids businesses in different sizes and scopes as an in-demand speaker, sought-after advisor, and best-selling author of Predictable Success, Getting Your Organization on the Growth Track and Keeping It There. Les now spends his time consulting, writing, teaching, and speaking. He has appeared on CNN, ABC, BBC, USA Today, and the New York Times, and more. Welcome to episode 24, which is The Synergist, Leading Your Team to Predictable Success. And as always, if you find this episode helpful, please help us get the word out by sharing it with a friend or colleague. Enjoy. So I'm so excited to have uh, Les McEwen on today, and I heard about Les in my other life. Um, I work, um, I'm married to a pastor, and I love to listen to leadership podcasts, and there's a great podcast out there uh, for leadership. Um, It's called the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, and I was just driving along and heard Les talk, and really, um, the information you're about to hear really struck me as helping me better be a community organizer in uh, the prevention world. So I'm really excited for everyone to hear Les today, and uh, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here, Amanda. Hi, everybody. Les, you want to tell everybody a little bit about yourself and uh, kind of what you do and help our audience just kind of, all those who've never heard of you before, just kind of get an idea of, you know, where you're coming from. Sure. Well, uh, originally I started life a long time ago uh, as a CPA, or the British equivalent of Chartered Accountant, as we call ourselves. So listeners can probably hear from my accent, I'm not quite from these parts. I'm from originally from Ireland, and although I've been here 20 years, and, I, and I'm now an American citizen, my accent has decided not to fully relocate, so that's that weird twine that you're hearing. And I started as a, as a CPA back in the UK, but the reason that I uh, got my qualification wasn't because I wanted to do taxes or accounts or anything like that. I just had got a great piece of advice from an early mentor that it was a good way to understand business, because that's where my heart was. Is just I was a weird kid, always fascinated by how businesses ticked. And uh, to compress a long story uh, into something that uh, is digestible, 
And I ended up becoming a serial entrepreneur and I started 42 businesses before I was 35 years of age, which sounds mathematically impossible, but it happened. And you know what? Even a dumb Irishman is going to see recurring patterns if, if you do it often enough. And that's what happened. I began to see these recurring patterns of growth uh, in early stage businesses. Uh, I thought I was beginning to see the, the one end of something that would be able to be predictive through all of the stages of growth a business goes through. Spent the middle part of my career uh, trying to complete my understanding of that model by working with ever larger, ever larger businesses. One of the reasons why I moved to the U.S. And um, finally, around about the turn of the century, I imagine I can say a phrase like that. Um, around the turn of the century, about 2000, 2001, I had completed this model, which I call predictable success, realized that it helped um, understand the patterns of success and failure in businesses, eventually codified it into a book called Predictable Success. And in that process, we're nearly up to date, uh, I realized that this model wasn't just for business, it was for any organization, any group of two or more people trying to achieve common goals. And so that's what I now do. I spend my entire um, time working with leaders of all sorts of organizations, for-profit, not-for-profit, charities, faith-based organizations, churches, uh, people who uh, do things for money, and uh, I help them grow and scale their organizations. I love it. One of my favorite things that you talk about, um, just because I've had the privilege to read your books and listen to your podcast, is just the different leadership styles, and I guess that's kind of what piqued my interest because you talk about different styles that are needed in order to manage a successful organization. And this is an issue I think a lot of our listeners struggle with because in the coalition world, we're required to have different members in the community sit around the table when we make decisions. Mm. Um, but their styles and who they are um, can sometimes conflict with the piece of paper that says what you have to do. And I'll give you an example, and then maybe you can dive into talking about some of these different styles. But traditionally, uh, law enforcement are one of the partners that we have to have at the table. And uh, law enforcement tends to fit something that you would call an operator, which I'm sure you'll talk about in a few minutes. But um, they tend to just want to get something done and get it out into the community. And it's frustrating when people have that those people at the table, but there's yet there's no plan yet for what is going to happen. Right. People just want to get in a room and let's just do something. So do you want to talk a little bit about the leadership styles? And I think it'll help people to identify who's who around their table. Um, I think it'll really turn a lot of wheels in people's head uh, to start thinking about their organization differently. Sure. Uh, the overarching model is pretty straightforward, and it's a it's a it's an evolving uh, uh, group of four leadership styles that really have to be there, first of all, but secondly and most importantly, need to emerge in the right sequence in order for an organization to uh, grow and thrive. And, and I'll, I'll go through it real quickly. At the, at the outset, we need someone that I call a visionary. And that's who they are, the person with the vision for the, the whatever the new venture is. Starting something new, very risky. 80% of all new organizations fail in the first three years. So we're talking about somebody who's typically already in employment, typically well remunerated, but just as it is burning desire 
to start something, whether it's to change the world or, you know, get some freedom and autonomy. They're the ones who are up at 4 a.m. doodling on their laptop on something that's going to become a business plan. And they're the ones that launch the new venture. High risk profile, prepared to step out and take risks. Think the big picture, you know, uh, think often think visually, good communicators. But... Uh, and, and every successful organization has got a visionary at the outset. However, visionaries tend to know their own, whether they would use my terminology or not, they know their own weakness, which is this. They really get very frustrated if they have to attend to all of the detail. They can do it if they have to, but they're much more excited about imagining new stuff, coming up with uh, bright ideas, whether for good or for ill. And so what um, all successful visionaries do is really early on, uh, as soon as possible, they will link themselves to the type of person you described, someone that I call the operator. And an operator is just a ruthless finisher. They just get stuff done. Uh, they don't really have much time for brainstorming, as you were saying, for you know blank sheets of paper, for strategic retreats. That's all the visionary stuff. And what happens is the visionary and the operator highly likely over time become operators, plural. They, they're a symbiotic couple. They can finish each other's sentences. They work really well together. And it's that visionary and operator together that takes the new venture out of the startup phase, what I call early struggle, and into a growth stage. I've given it a highly technical name. I call it fun. And fun is just, that's what it is. You know, this thing's working. This is great. We're not going to die tomorrow. The business, the new venture isn't going to go under. We've got traction. We've found our market. You know, things are going along well. And that's the combo, a, a good uh, sort of uh, near equivalent is a mom and pop business. You know, you've opened your uh, diner or your coffee shop or your muffler place or whatever it may be. Or maybe you've even got a second outlet or something like that. And, and that's a, you know, it's a small business and fun. The, the, the formula, so to speak for that, if you, if that's what you want. If you want a lifestyle type of a smaller organization, then visionary and operator is what you need. And it's all you need. But what happens with most organizations is we have this period of fun. We say yes to everything. We, we, we improvise and innovate and somehow get everything done. We say yes and work out how to do it later. We please our customers or clients and we grow. And it becomes more complex. We wake up some morning and realize the visionary and operator on their own aren't enough. But what we need for the first time at a senior level is the third of our four styles, which I call a processor. The processors, you know, that green eye shade wearing fellow who is very uh, risk averse, um, who thinks linearly, but who's really good putting systems and processes together. And they come in and they help us, you know, bring order to the chaos of this stage I call whitewater when everything's just, you know, would become too complex to make it up every day as we go along. We've got to start putting systems and processes in place. We've got to codify stuff. We've got to become a bit more consistent in how we do things. And those three styles together, the visionary operator and processor style, for the first time bring conflict, typically for the first time, bring serious, deep conflict at senior leadership because those styles on their own don't work well together. Mm -hmm. uh, the visionary and the operator are used to just making it up in the morning and having it done by dinner time. They're used to turning on a dime and the processor's putting railroad tracks in place Visionary and operator say yes to everything. Processor looks and feels as if he or she's saying no to everything. No, we can't do that. No, we won't do it that way. No, we can't. And so there's a whole bunch of conflict comes in. And at that point, 
um, this is where we have a binary decision to make, which is, do we want to just go back, take the organization back to fun, lose the operator, if I can be sort of mercenary about it, and just go back to what we were, accepting that if we do that, there will always be a cap on our growth. Or do we want to push through into the stage I call predictable success? And that stage, the difference between predictable success and fun, is that in predictable success, if we push through, if we work out how to work, get the vision and operator processor to work together, we get the ability to scale to become whatever size our market will allow. We don't have that in fun, and fun there will always be a cap on our growth. In predictable success, we can get to any size our market will allow. Now, how does that happen? We learn how to get the visionary operator process working well together, and that happens by that group, that team, the visionaries, the operators, the processors, learning a fourth learned style, which I call the synergist style, and I'll finish with this. The synergist style really only has any relevance whenever we're trying to get to predictable success because it's the style that says, look, stop trying to scratch your visionary operator or processor itch. Stop getting trying to get the endorphin rush that you need because of your innate style. Visionaries, you know, got to think big picture, got to be doing really exciting things. That's how they get their endorphin rush. Operators got to be actually doing stuff out there, you know, hammer, nails, fix things, do things. That's how they get their endorphin rush. Processors. Got to codify something, got to produce a system, got to produce a process. That's how we get our endorphin rush. The synergist style is a learned style which says, we are all here to do whatever is best for the enterprise as a whole. And if it doesn't scratch my visionary operator processor itch, I'm still all for it. I'm behind it. I support it. And so learning that synergist style is really, if there's any, I like to tell people, if there's any sort of secret sauce in, in the predictable success model, that's all it is, is just learning how to get what otherwise would be combative styles, the visionary operating processor, to work together. And that means developing this fourth learn style, the synergist. I love it. I kind of hear just in our language, it's really what's best for the community overall. Um, right. Because I think a lot of times, again, people come in and they don't want to take through that processor step. You know, they don't want to look at data. They don't want to just you know make a decision like that and um, I love how you say that people can become synergists though how do people do that so if I'm a visionary and I know that I have this itch how do I how do I drift more to becoming a synergist is there a certain you know process that someone goes through and what does that look like you know, I, I, as you might imagine, Amanda, I get asked that question a lot. And the glib answer is you buy my book, The Synergist, and read it. And that makes it happen sort of magically. Uh, but I say that not because I need the $1.37 I get in a royalty each time that I somebody buys the book. I said because that's why I wrote the book is that actually the process of synergizing your own style is pretty mechanical. I'll go through the high-level principles in just a moment or two. Um, once you've recognized the need to do this, actually making it happen is not that difficult. The whole key is in the recognition of the need. That's the thing. Because, of course, if you think about it, what's happening here is that we've got a one or two of the groups of folks, the vision and operator, who've been highly successful typically in the past before the processor comes along. These are not dumb people. These are not people who were used to failure. They were doing really well. And so the, the notion that they've somehow got to change their behaviors is not only something that's hard for them to see, 
it can be anathema because what they say is, well, wait a minute, you're asking me to stop doing what's been highly successful so far. You want me to stop being a visionary and stop being an operator? Um, we, we did really well. Well, the, the, my good friend Marshall Goldsmith wrote a book with a great title. Um, the title is What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And that's part of what's going on here is there's a perception requirement, first of all, which says, oh, hold on. I'm beginning to see this. If we're going to get to predictable success and scale, I need to change some behaviors. And the second element of that, before we get to mechanical issues, is that it's important to realize that we're not asking people to stop being visionaries, operators, or processors and become full-fledged synergists alone. We're asking them to become visionary synergists, operator synergists, processor synergists. So they get to keep their core innate style, <clears throat> but they learn how to move into sort of a sixth gear. And, and what is that? What are the practicalities of that? How does it happen? Um, there's a there's a typically a, a sequence in which it does happen, and, and the and the way that works is that it's usually the visionary. Again, whether they've ever come across my model or used this terminology or not, it's almost always the visionary who, for the first time, who is the first one to begin to alter their behaviors and work synergistically. Why? Because it's their baby, typically. This thing, this venture, that's theirs. And so they're up at night. They can't sleep with this clash that's going on between visionary operator processor. And absolutely, you know, the terminology, they're just trying to to think through how how can we be better? And where it all boils down to, and it's usually, as I say, the visionary who first sees it, it all comes down to one interaction uh, that happens a lot, and that is decision-making. That's where this all boils down. It becomes the crucible of where vision operator processors need to develop the synergy style is in the act of making and implementing decisions because what happens in and around there is where if you're not a synergized team, you feel the need to scratch your visionary operator processor itch. So we get together, we're talking about an issue. It could be anything, the budget for next year, how we're going to theme the Christmas party. And the visionary all, you know, on their own wants big picture stuff. Operator just wants to get it done, get out of this darn meeting, hate meetings. Operators can't stand meetings. Mm-hmm. Processor wants to, you know, contrast the data between the last seven Christmas parties and what the customer satisfaction, blah, blah, blah. And it's the visionary who thinks, first of all, you know what, I realize something. I realize when I come into the room and if I can just stick through the detail, we make better decisions. If I don't, if I don't hijack the agenda, which is classic visionary um, uh, move, you know, you, you know, visionaries invented hyperlinking. They would go from A to Q to Mars to blue to squirrel and back to, to A again. And, and a visionary will begin to say, oh, I don't do that. And if I don't just sort of walk out and leave you all to it whenever somebody opens a spreadsheet, if I sit in here, even though it's painful to me, we make better decisions. That's the step towards becoming a visionary synergist. An operator who, any operator worth their salt, when we get deep into whitewater and we're having all of these decisions got to be made and implemented, they have found ways to just not be in those meetings. They can't stand them. Operator will have a get-out-of-meeting-free card. You know, our biggest customer is about to leave us or... We've got a major emergency on our hands. Funny how that always happens every time we have a meeting. Mm-hmm. And the operators are off there somewhere and just sending a text saying, you just tell me what you decided. I'll do whatever you want. And, and they're, they're right. mean, they mean that, right? But what an operator synergist does is they begin to realize, oh, when I'm not in that meeting, those idiots come up with ridiculous 
suggestions that don't match the real world. I'm the one that brings real world knowledge. I really need to sit in those meetings. Even though I'd rather open a paper clip up and stab myself in the eye, I'm going to sit in the meeting, I'm going to contribute, I'm going to be positive and supportive. A processor who's beginning to think like a processor synergist begins to realize, oh, I see it. If I bring the 60-page PowerPoint for every single agenda item and make people listen to me, we don't make good decisions. When I bring a one-page summary, talk about the advantages as well as the disadvantages of doing things, when I, you know, I'm prepared to give an opinion and not just sit on the information, then we make better decisions. And so the mechanics of it are, are pretty straightforward. What I have observed, and, and I'll, I'll finish this segment with this, is that left sort of in the wild, a, a team that's comprised of mature adults who are committed to the success of their organization, if you leave them alone, they'll become a synergized team over a period of between two and four years. That's how long it takes to do it, just sort of making it up as you go along. And why is that? Because it all only happens when we're together as a team trying to make decisions. So you get into a meeting and you learn a tiny little behavioral switch, then you've got to go do your job, then we're back in a meeting on Thursday and we try that again and maybe add a little bit. Over two to four years, we learn to become synergistic. And what I've done in the book is I've just taken all the stuff that happens in those two to four years, and you know what I worked out? You can make it happen in a day and a half. If you just do the stuff in the book, but you sit down and do it from start to finish, you can make it happen in a day. You can make a synergized team in a day and a half. I love it. I definitely agree, too. Uh, If you haven't read the book, read the book, because it really helped me. Um, And I just think about all the mistakes that we've made. So our organization is about 10 years old, but we really didn't see success starting until about year three or four. And again, it's because all that work took so long. Um, So yeah, I I can definitely see that now on this side. Um, I was thinking too a little bit about something else um, that I've heard you talk about before too, is that you... uh, in your life had an organization that was just, it was big, it was well run. And then you kind of stopped one day and just said, wow, this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my life. Can you talk a little bit about that and just how also people need to be aware of who they are and where they fit and what's best for them as well? Sure. Uh, I, I built a consulting company along with a partner of mine, a wonderful guy, uh, God bless him, Will's no longer with us. Um, He and I built this 120-person consulting company, essentially doing a version of what we've just been sharing here. Um, But it was before I had fully fleshed out the predictable success model. But anyway, we ended up with uh, 13 offices worldwide. You know, I was on planes to Tokyo, Paris, South Africa, Canada, Boston, back to home. And every time I'd step off the plane, it was wonderful to try. I mean, I was very blessed. I'm not complaining about any of this. It's a blessed thing to do. But I realized that I would never see a client, you know, or a customer. I was was sitting with our staff going through our internal issues. And, you know, I'm I'm personally a VP, a visionary, big visionary small processor, 
been talking up to this point is if we're all just one thing most of us tend to have at least two styles one of them is usually a primary style the other one's a secondary style and primarily a visionary secondarily a processor and what that means is that where i get my satisfaction is by thinking through highly creative things then helping other people implement them i don't have a strong mm -hmm. operator style i don't want to do it myself it's a classic definition of a consultant right there um so but I wasn't getting to do that. Uh, I, I was having to work a lot uh, in the styles that wasn't really delivering for me. So um, I made the decision. Uh, it was actually one of the reasons, one of the prompters to me moving over here to the U.S. is back in 1998, folks. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I was born before the Civil War. I'm a very old individual. Uh, so 1998, uh, a long time ago. Uh, and I've had to do a, a sort of mini versions of this twice since then. But 1998, I, I sort of metaphorically went up the mountaintop, thought this all through, realized this wasn't delivering for me, and I wanted, I wanted to work in the stage I call fun. I, I wanted to just yeah. be doing the thing that I want to do. I did not want to administer the business. Uh, and so I, I sold my half of the business to Will, uh, my partner, and, and at the same time moved over to the U.S. made a major, pretty major life change. Uh, and as I say, since then, even you know, just doing what I'm doing now, I have on two occasions sort of not quite woken up, but almost uh, the case woken up and found, oh, no, wait a minute, I've got a team of eight, nine, ten people here. That's not what I want to do. I personally want to help other people. I mean, I work with, with organizations with tens of thousands of employees helping them scale their business. I work with small, medium-sized businesses. I want to help them, but I don't want to do it for me. I want to stay in fun. And so one of the things that is a great privilege for me is what the very first thing I do with um, uh, senior leadership teams is we go through the basic model and I make it obvious to them that there really are only two places to be. You, you only want your organization to either be in the fun stage or be in the predictable success stage. You do not want to be in any one of the other five stages. And helping them think that through is one of the greatest gifts I have to give to people because once you've made that decision, you can be at peace with the implications and you don't get stuck in that middle ground where you've got all the systems and processes nonsense in whitewater, but you're not making progress towards predictable success, nor are you happy as you were in fun. So uh, I see a lot of senior teams get stuck in whitewater and get out of it. And, I, and the first thing to do is I, I just get them to look at the life cycle. And after explaining the principles, if you want to be in fun or do you want to be in predictable success? I love that. Um, and for those who are listening that don't understand all the stages too, we could spend a whole nother episode on talking about that, but um, get the book. Um, and also we can put a link in the show notes to some podcasts. But I love to another resource that you had on your website is you had the Synergist quiz, which I found so helpful. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what that is and kind of what it helps people to do? <coughs> sure. Uh, it's at synergistquiz.com, all one word, synergistquiz.com. And it's a simple, I think there are 32 questions, multiple choice. Um, you know, you'll have seen, uh, we've all seen hundreds of these these days. Um, and what it does is you'll go through, answer the, the multiple choice questions, hit submit, and it will um, spit out for you what your VOPS, visual Operator Processor Synergist profile is. So as I said a moment or two ago, um, you know, in the first pass of teaching this, 
I talk as if we're all only one thing, visionary operator, processor, synergist, because it's easier, excuse me, to grasp in that regard. But then um, as we begin to get into the richness of the model, what we realize is that not only do most people have more than one active style, if you can call it that, um, there's a, there are different degrees to which you can be one or more of the styles. So uh, not to get into an enormous amount of detail, but really quickly, you can either have a style as a, it can either be non-existent, you just don't have it, you don't want to work that way. Uh, you know, you just, there are people who just don't want to be processors. There, or you can have it as a secondary style, so you can do it if you have to. It can be a primary style, so that's who you are, that's how you show up, and, you know, that's that's the, the style that, that you live with. Or it can be a dominant style, and that's not a good thing. The difference between a dominant style and a primary style is if you're, a, say, a primary visionary, then you own that style. If you're a dominant visionary, then it owns you. Uh, you, you can't think any other way. You, you, you don't really welcome solutions to problems that don't scratch your dominant styles itch and that can be problematic and an opportunity for some coaching so you can go find that all out at synergistquiz.com you take the 32 things hit submit you'll get an immediate feedback on the page that will freshest to will will give you your scores but then you can if you want to you can put your email address in there and hit send and what will come back is a somewhat more detailed um, report by email pretty instantaneously We've spent a lot of time, and now had over 100,000 people take this quiz. You get enormous feedback from it. I get yeah. multiple emails every day telling me I, I, that you just this nailed who I am, or I now understand, you know, some other members in my team, or my. I get this one quite a lot. You know, my spouse and I now understand how and why we work together the way we do. Uh, you know, it's a classic visionary operator model in, in many spousal relationships. So um, that's where it is, synergistquiz.com. And I'll, I'll make one other point just about the um, results that come out. It's very important for folks to understand this. What your um, VOPS profile measures is not your competence at that style. It's your preference. So again, for example... I have a lot of accounting um, lawyer colleagues and friends who are really low on processor style. They're obviously competent at doing processor type work because you don't get to have an accounting qualification without being a strong processor. But it's just not what they want to do. You know, they want to do other things. So that's really important that the styles indicator isn't about competence. It's about preference. I can definitely attest to that too. So just this knowledge really changed the way that I do everything that I do. Um, it just helped me understand myself, understand our team better, and just where I needed to make some change because I definitely am the visionary. So I just sometimes will steamroll over and you know get tired of that whole process piece. But taking a step back and really knowing yourself and working on that change has really brought some amazing results for our team. That's great to hear. So with that being said, our, our time's already <laughs> up, and I'm so sad because I have so many more things I could ask. But, I mean, I just seriously thank you for the gift that you've given to all of us uh, with going through this work. And um, I know that there are going to be many leaders that listen to this, and their organizations are going to be better for it. Thank you, Amanda. It's been a pleasure to do it. Bye, everybody. Thank you. 
For more information from today's podcast, check out our show notes. There you can find our contact information, social media, and website. Please get in touch with us if you have any comments or questions. And if you like today's podcast, please share it with your friends. Thanks for listening.